Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listen to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Pop crazy youngsters, and welcome to part two of chart music number 49. I'm Al Needham. Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm, 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 waiting, I'm waiting for myself <laughs> to say hello. What a knob. I'm Al Needham, that's Sarah B. Hey. Neil Kulkarni's just over there. Hello, Chucky Bab. And we are about to get the fuck right out of this unwiped arse of a century <laughs> and bury our faces into a top of the pops from 1982. Oh, that, that looks like a nice, safe place now, doesn't it? The blessed balm of nostalgia. Before we get into this episode, some of you have been asking, thank you very much. Yeah, the, the chart music beacon's gone up, the one that shaped like Simon Bates on a broomstick with a cat face suit wanker. <laughs> Everyone else in chart music is just fine. Don't worry about us, we're all right, aren't we? We are. Yeah, yeah and some, at, at least at least three of us are basically shut-ins anyway, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's... The adjustment period is is probably not as painful as it's going to be for for uh, for others. So yeah, let's get stuck into this episode. Yes. And in, in the words of the recently departed Julie Felix, we're going to see Zoo Zoo Zoo. How about you, you, you? You can come too, too, too. We're going to see Zoo Zoo Zoo. Neil, here we go. Here's your chance, man, to splurge on Zoo. <sighs> My nemesis, my arch nemesis, mm. um, unrivaled yeah. Zunus to the to the power wank. I mean, they're, they're fully confident in what they're doing, mm. and at their most repulsive, I would argue, in this particular episode. <laughs> All right, then, pop craze youngsters, it's now time to go way back to January of 1982. Always remember. We may coat down your favourite band or artist, but we never forget. They've been on top of the pops more than we have. It's 7.25pm on the evening of Thursday, January the 7th, 1982, and Top of the Pops is finally about to emerge from its Aventis chrysalis with the glistening, pastel-hued wings of the 80s. Let's have a brief timeline of, of that transition from the old to the new. So, August 1980. 
Robin Nush, the executive producer of Top of the Pops, is promoted to head of variety at the BBC and is replaced by Michael Hurl, who also takes over from Nash as the executive producer of Crackerjack, as well as continuing to hold down his position for the two Ronnies and Little and Large. Hurl immediately announces that the DJ presenters and Legs and Co. will be retained, but pop news will be given out between numbers and the audience will be encouraged to sit the fuck down. (laughs) As soon as Top of the Pops returns after a two-month layoff due to the musicians' union strike, Hurl changes the hard and fast rule of giving away the top 30 at the top of the show, spreading it out as the show progresses Oh, and bins off the top of the Pops Orchestra. April 1981. An advert in the stage announces, Flick Colby requires young girl dancers, indicating a new female troupe or a shake-up of Legs & Co. is imminent. 9th of July 1981. The introduction of Yellow Pearl and the reigning vinyl opening credits for the 900th episode. October 1981, another advert in the stage announces audition for Flick Colbert, but this time it's for, quote, boys and girls. A week later, Hurl announces the new look for Top of the Pops from November, which will include a pool of 80 dancers, which he hopes will include Legs and Co. in a shake-up of its Terpsichorean wing. As Hurl said... Under the new system, the dancers appearing over a month will average out to about 24. But whereas one week a song might suggest a routine with two dancers, the next week we might want 16. A few weeks later, Legs and Co. make their final main performance dancing to the Birdie song. And a week after that, they make their final appearance dancing behind Haircut 100 as they do favourite shirts, Boy Meets Girl. November the 5th, 1981, the introduction of Zoo, who get in the way of modern romance as they try to perform Ay, 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 Moose. And in November the 12th, 1981, we have the introduction of an irregular slot about the American charts presented by Jonathan King. Uh. So you could say that this episode really does mark the death of the Aventis and the birth of the top of the pops that your two in particular know and sort of love. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) With Yellow Pearl, of course. And of course with Zoo. Um, Mm. Oh, God. Fucking Zoo. Mm. Yeah. Overshadowing the kids. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I hated Zoo from the off. Um, Mm. I mean, the difference to me, of course, is by 82, for starters, video is starting to make the idea of a dance troupe redundant already. Um, as a kid, I would have much preferred watching the pop video um, that a band yeah. would have created um, Definitely. to some rubbish dance routine. Um, mm. But beyond that, as we started to get familiar with the ever-changing cavalcade of cunts that were Zoo over the coming months... The cuntalcade, if The cuntalcade, yeah. Um, that, a lot of bad things come out of, um, of their performances. They, they, they simply didn't seem as in control and as controlled as Legs and Compounds people were. They they were just allowed control, it seems. And Mm. all their routines just seemed hasty and overly flamboyant and crucially show-offy. That's the Mm. key thing, show-offy, which is something that Pans people and Legs and Co. uh, never seem to be. So, in Mm. a sense, Zoo 
suited an age in which selfishness and individuality and competitiveness rather than togetherness were going to be yeah. were going to be preeminent. Legs and Co and Pan's people never really felt like they had something to prove or that they were being rewarded for going at routines with particular gusto. Zoo, however, just seemed to always be showing off and 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 not in a good way. Yeah. That they were the most suitable dance troupe for for Top of the Pops trying to embark on a new era. But out of all of those changes that you listed when Hurl came in, I would I would say that they're, they're probably the weakest link in those changes because you couldn't mm. really see any discernible improvement in Zoo from Legs and Co and Pan's people. And, and also their role itself seemed really unsure in this period, particularly early 80 when they're just coming in. Yeah. Were they there to be part of the crowd? Were they... Doing, I mean, they, they were shouldering out really what, uh, as retrospective viewers now, makes Top of the Pops joyous. They were shouldering out yes. the kids. Yes. And, and really, you couldn't tell if they were there to do routines. Even when they did, it was kind of hasty and thrown together. And it, and it was mm. that, cru- it's that crucial difference, isn't it? We keep coming back to between uh, arrogance and, and confidence. Uh, Legs and Co seem confident. Pan's people seem confident. Zoo seem arrogant with this unjustified confidence because they're not that good. And, mm. and also, although you could almost link Pan's People and Legs and Co. back to something akin to a counterculture, that kind of 60s, 70s idyll yeah. of ephemeral pop presentation, Zoo were just sweaty in, <laughs> in, in, a, in a sort of really unpleasant way. They just look like they reek. So from the off, um, I wasn't keen on Zoo. It was a different vibe. And it seemed mm. a vibe that determined to like shoulder out those unpleasant things called the kids who were actually at, yeah. you know, who, who were always provided the real entertainment in a sense, watching the yes. Top of the Pops audience. They shouldered them out in, in favour of this just endlessly extravagant, flagrant displays of, of kind of show-offiness. So, so I hated Zoo from the off. Um, and, and, you know, this is where they started. Sarah, is Top of the Pops a thing in your life at the time? Uh, probably not quite yet, but... Um, yeah, Did, do you have any I, memories of, of watching a Top of the Pops with Zoo on it? I don't. I mean, it, it, it clearly, it didn't uh, didn't affect my enjoyment of it. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, uh, I'm, I'm afraid, uh, I wasn't like, oh, who are these, who are these cunts? <laughs> mm. But apparently, I mean, uh, the thing is that I have actually uh, in... I've been having a nice time dancing in a club and gone up on a thing to because there's a bit more space mm. to throw shapes and uh, been turfed off right by you know by uh, unceremoniously by some professionals who'd been hired to do the thing right, and right. they were just doing their job but it is like this this seems this seems incorrect can we, <laughs> you know now I not because not because I wanted to show off but I just you know wanted a bit of space. There. Just want a bit of bit of space to fling mm. my arms around, and um, mm. so yeah, it does. I totally get what Neil is saying about yeah, they're they're just sort of elbowing out, and it's like no, 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 stand aside. This is how it's done. So yeah, yeah but it, it honestly, it doesn't really like watching this episode. It's like yeah, there's there's some you know there's some decent moves being thrown there. I uh, I always it, I suppose they're a bit more. I guess the intention, which is partially successful, is they're more of a. Oh, kind of a bridge between the kids and the audience, or mm. at least that's a partially kind of successful thing that I don't know. I'm just pulling this out of my ass, but um, I do hate. I always bristle at that notion that uh, you know that that is a thing that is needed or desirable. It's yeah. okay 
for there, there's a natural hierarchy for there to be like performers who perform and you stand around and look at them. Yeah. And they are going to be up on a stage higher up than you. And that doesn't mean you don't have to get in a get in a thing about that. You know, you don't have to go, well, I'm, they think they're better than me. It's like, well, they're better than you at this. So that, and that's fine. And they're actually performing for your enjoyment. So you don't have to get, I hate that whole kind of false democracy of like, oh no, everyone's good at a thing and everyone's got a talent. That's how you get YouTubers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's revealing, Al, that you said there were like 80 dancers they were calling upon. Yes. To be into, I mean, that rotate, you'd think of such a vast rotating cast of dancers would lead to some, I don't know, some different dancing, some different varieties of dancing, but really. Well, well some good dancers. But all they do, all Zoo ever do, um, if they're not actually directly involved in a routine that involves backflips or something, is that brassy walking step that is the default Zoo yes. setting. And they just do that incessantly. Um, yeah. Replacing the audience. I, 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 it's one of the worst things that Hurl did to the show, I would argue. Yeah. And, yes. and he just wasn't cognizant, unfortunately, as to, to the way thing. If you're going to put a zoo routine in, hey, just put the video on. It'll be better. Mm. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there is yeah. also, I know I've complained about this in the past, and you know, I, I, go, I go back and forth. You know, there's a lot of mixed feelings about a lot of Top of the Pops for me. Um, and sometimes I'm, I find it a bit vexatious, the, uh, the endless awkwardness and all its permutations of of the audience and of people being trying to have fun trying to look like they're having fun trying to perform having fun being told how to perform how to have fun that is all quite a lot and I find it quite wearisome but then when you get someone who is doing this kind of slightly shinier version of you know it, it does yeah like top of the pops is kind of supposed to be about a load of people being a bit awkward. There's, there's, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that's kind of the charm of it. So, yeah. yeah, it is It is an odd It is an odd thing, and I'm not sure it completely works. They're dancers that stop other people dancing. That's the thing. Yes. That, yeah, that, that, that's that that's what's right. terrible about it. They're stopping other people dancing because not only would you feel sort of somewhat inadequate, what you notice with zoo performances over the years is people watching them yeah. Uh, you people used to watch Legs and Co and stuff. Don't get me wrong, but they'd also be having a boogie as well because they didn't feel intimidated out of their slightly mm. crap dancing. Whereas Zoo yeah, yeah. have that effect on the audience. They just stymie natural expression um, in that way, and it's really noticeable from this kind of period onwards. They become the midpoint mm. between us as the audience watching it and the and the kids in the in the studio yeah. and the DJs. It's the DJ's job to jolly everything along and say that everything's brilliant. But, you know, in many an episode mm-hmm. of Top of the Pops we've commented on, you know, you look to the kids because the kids always tell you the truth. You know, <laughs> we've seen them with faces like smacked asses or getting bored and yeah. restless and yeah. doing rabbit ears behind their mate's back. <laughs> and, you know, the kids will always tell you what's good and what's shit. Uh-huh. And now they've been moved out the equation. And to Zoo, everything's brilliant. And everything's danceable and... You know, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we, there are episodes we haven't even approached yet where Zoo are being called on to dance to things that you just can't dance to. And they look so out of fucking place. Uh, <laughs> and that's the only good, that's the only time that you actually enjoy seeing Zoo on there. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and there's a kind yeah. of disdainful thing about the way that they dance to mm. pop music. They always have to dance yes. to pop music with this stupid big smile on their face, always stupidly, yeah. happily reactive to every single change in the music. That's not the way you dance to pop. You get into the groove of it. You you don't keep yes. showing off like this. So, that, 
I always got the sense with Zoo that they actually hated pop music and they were deliberately acting juvenile. Yeah. Dancing is fun, but it's also bloody serious. Pan's people yes. didn't always smile. I, I, I perceive, a, I mean, maybe this is a retroactive justification for my loathing of a fairly anodyne dance troupe, but I always thought that Zoo looked down on pop and, and, and yes. you know, I palpably get that from an awful lot of their performances on this episode, actually. Yeah, this is their springboard to um, other things, uh, isn't it? They yeah, think, exactly that, exactly that. Which turned out to be in one extreme uh, a career presenting on MTV in America and in the other extreme doing the what no meat advert (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, and one more other thing before we really get stuck in pop crazy youngsters this episode of top of the pops is a week before the one we covered in chart music number 11 Uh uh-huh uh david van day's chart music so you know you may want to listen to that one right after this if only to hear how much my editing and presentation skills have improved (laughs) over the last two years it's way back and how better our microphones are. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks to you. Your host for this evening is wow. Peter Powell. <laughs> At this moment in time, Powell has clocked up a year in the weekday tea time slot and is garnering a reputation as the man at Radio 1 who breaks the bands. He's already been credited with giving Duran Duran and Spandau Bali their first airings on Radio 1, and this year he'll be doing the same for Culture Club. This afternoon, he's been sandwiched between Steve Wright in the afternoon and the record producers, a documentary series hosted by Andy Peebles. As well as being folded into the rotation of Top of the Pops presenters, he's also in talks with BBC Northwest to co-present the forthcoming Saturday morning show Get Set for Summer with Mark Curry. And by the end of the year, he would replace Robert Elms as the host of the new series of the Manchester-based Youth, with an F, music and culture programme Oxford Roadshow. The TV show, let us remember, that was the inspiration for nosing around on the young ones. (laughs) Which was a bit of a fucking cheek, seeing as Ben Elton was a regular presenter in the first series. Oh, I mean, the, this era of Top of the Pops, practically tailor-made for Peter Powell, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, he, Michael Hall must have had him in mind, because he is Mr. Wow. He is, he is. And he, he's, he's, crucially, he's shorn of that 70s smell of the old farts. He's a safe yes. pair of hands, in a sense, for this vibrant, young, aspirational decade. And, yes. and crucially, although the 70s were often called the sexy 70s, with two E's on the end, obviously... Um, There was a strangely asexual or inappropriately sexual feel to many of the presenters. Um, But if you go looking for creepiness in Peter Powell, I have to say, I think it's mainly down to the milieu that he was in. You do get the feeling with Powell, slightly creepy though he is, that he may have actually had a sexual relationship with something that wasn't, I don't know, tinned fruit or a domesticated animal. You know, he (laughs) he has that sense of normality to him. But Mm. the key thing for any presenter to put across, especially with a new format, in a sense, he's got to deal with, you know, new chart rundowns, new dance troops, etc. Is that the key thing for him to put across is that you are safe here. Now, Mm. the, the only problematic, in a sense, of unsafe presenters of Top of the Pops at this point, in as much as they don't leave the audience feeling necessarily that secure, are probably John Peel. Kenny Everett mm. and, you know, as Alf Garnett called him, that peroxide ponce who we haven't talked about yet. Yes. But, but, but Powell is emblematic of that kind of security in a sense. But all that yeah. said, uh, I've never seen Peter Powell look the way that he looks 
on this episode. Um, he looks like a member of Kraftwerk. He, he's got this yes. straightened hair that replaces his previous kind of bubble perm, and this yes, this shit red tank top, ready it, for the eighties. Yeah, just not helping really. He does this. In this initial intro, he does this throw of his hand. I can't tell if it's planned or not, but it doesn't come off. Um, no. You know, but but yeah, he's the ideal host. He's young. That's what's crucial. And that's precisely the yes. image that Top of the Pops is trying to put across in this period. Yeah. And overwhelmingly positive, as always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're quite right about the uh, you know the, the creepiness quotient is is about as low as it as it gets for a, um, a, a top of the pops mm. presenter. Mm. I think. Let us not forget, though, that according to Simon Price's dad, Peter Powell is a perv. Oh yeah, oh, of course, of course. Christ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, remind me. Simon was watching uh, Top of the Pops with his dad, and his dad just said Peter Powell's a perv. <laughs> And uh, Simon regrets not um, uh, pulling his dad up on that and finding oh, out more. Okay, so we, well, we might never know. Maybe he was just trying to do a, a new twist on P- Peter Piper picked a peck of pipple. Pe- <laughs> the outfit is is kind of, I I would say he's serving funky Mister Rogers realness there. He's in a white shirt with wazzy collars and the sleeves rolled up. Yeah, uh, the shirt doesn't fit, and it, it's kind yeah. of there's a sort of long knit waistcoat kind of thing yeah. or a gilet right. yeah but it's the colour it's the exact colour of cherry flavoured tunes oh uh, yes it's yes. the exact colour of yes. one that's been in your bag for a while and has gone a little bit you know and uh, yeah. he has a tie striped with a red that is not the yes. same red I can't tell you exactly no. what red it is and, a, and, and, and bad trousers and a sort of a what I can only describe as a lady's rectangular watch with with a leather strap in in yet oh, another well spotted another shade of red. So he's got he's trying to coordinate, but none of those reds are are the same, and it it's it's a bother. I've got to tell like it's a, it's a bother on the eyes. Mm. He does seem appropriate to this phase of Tommy Pops. He's incredibly awkward. I feel it has mm. to be said. He's not kind of slick. I mean, there's the, yeah, there's the kind of hand wave, which is meant to be a sort of like go kind of thing, and it's like. Yeah. Oh, oof. But also, he's he's kind of got this slightly strangulated. His delivery, he's not breathing. It's like breathe, breathe, man. It's like yeah. I mean, you've seen Thelma and Louise, right? Mm. Uh, there's a bit where Thelma and Louise are on the run, and uh, Louise gets Thelma to call Holmes. Want you to call Daryl, and um, and says like, if if you suspect anything, if he sounds weird at all, hang up because it means that the phone's tapped and the police are there. So. So, and the police are there. The FBI are all sitting around. The phone rings. And Daryl kind of gets himself together and, and picks up the phone. And um, she's like, Daryl, it's me. And he goes, Thelma, hello. And she hangs up the phone. He knows, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the FBI look at him. He's like, what? But it's like, that's the thing. You can just hear his entire body like constricting around his voice box. So, you know, so that's basically the delivery. Like everything, he can't get through a sentence without just kind of going like that so it, it I, I felt kind of bad for him but you know yeah. he does a he does a fair enough job he's possibly nervy because i'm not sure how many he'd presented all by himself um in this period quite a few by this oh i do because yeah. i'm used to seeing really? him you know next to kid or next to noel or something like that so that surprises me yeah he just needed to just needed to breathe a little bit more you know just you know he relaxes on. later when somebody smart tells him to take his his waistcoat off yes yeah, yeah. he relaxes a bit though The first Top of the Box of 1982, we've got a show stacked full of good stuff, including the number one band in the studio. But right now, for starters, New York 25, Philip Liner to Yellow Pearl! 
pal in a white shirt with wazzy collars and the sleeves rolled up, stripy tie, red waistcoat and black trousers, stands on a platform with a smattering of zoo wankers, including a lad dressed up as a British Airways pilot. <laughs> he tells us to prepare for a show stacked full of good stuff. Then, without warning, he pretends to throw the microphone at us and breaks <laughs> into a running man dance that looks like one of those flick books of Goofy walking along. <laughs> That was incredible. That, yeah. Was that planned? Because, man... Oh, yes. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Well, well, as we've seen in the um, in the Week Afters episode, you know, it, it's clearly a policy now that the, the Radio 1 DJs and the presenters have to dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. we got that shot at the end of the, the next episode where Dave Lee Travis is forced to dance to being boiled. <laughs> <laughs> thing is like i'm i'm not a dancer but i can under the right circumstances running man i have got yeah. a respectable running man but you need it takes it, it takes a bit out of you and you can't just yeah. do it to anything like you've yeah. got it the feeling has got to be there you know yeah you can't running man to yellow pearl it just doesn't it's not the right yeah, yeah it, it yeah, doesn't yeah. have the right no. vibe whatsoever. it's a plod isn't it the but plodding you- man <laughs> You could do the plodding man, the, the kind of, yeah, the sort of shuffling to the shops man. But yeah, yeah. It, it's not, I mean, obviously he has a little, it's it's quite sweet. It's more like a sort of, what that is, is not really the running man. It's more like, um, I'm sure in 1982, I had a hobby horse that that my mum made with, with like a, with a, with a lovely yes. head and then just a broomstick and some reins. And you had to try to get it. Between it's a terrible rubbish toy. I mean, I, I remember mine. I've just had a really fond memory of mine actually because my mum made it. It's a white a white horse with with a lovely mane and mad oh. eyes, you know. But you have to try to like put put the stick sort of between your knees and keep it there, and then sort of do the horsey movement with the rest of you. And it, it it's quite awkward, and you don't yeah. feel there's no like. Ah, oh, I can I can now drift into a dreamland where I'm actually riding a beautiful horse across the countryside. It's just, that's what he's doing. He's doing the hobby horse. Yeah. Mm. And he's got to do it all the way through the song as well. Yeah. And right in the beginning, he looks behind himself. And I don't know whether it's, he was being like my niece. Because when my niece, I used to watch Top of the Pops with my niece when she was about three. And every time Legs and Co or Pants People came on, she'd get up and just dance to it. But she'd look behind herself to make sure she was doing exactly what everyone else was doing. Ah, yeah. So either he's looking behind himself to see if he's doing it right or looking behind himself to check that everyone else is doing it and he hasn't been conned into making a twat of himself. (laughs) (laughs) While everyone else is just standing there laughing at him. Well, the person who got this right time and time again was John Peel. His dancing was always a hoot to look at because he deliberately made it awkward and made a thing of it. Yeah. Powell's precisely aiming for this smooth kind of move and oh god it's mortifying mm. also there's this kind of feeling that like he's it's like you've got to really sell this because it's like we're really yeah. proud this is mm. our theme tune and yes, it's yes. a weird sort of top of the pops folding in on itself moment it's a really yes. isn't it and just especially because it's right at the start and it's like well I've just heard this and I'm hearing it again and seeing it in this weird well I mean which which we'll get to but like it, it's it's a lot, isn't it? Somehow, it's it's yeah. very it's very strange. So the song they're all dancing to happens to be the song we've just heard a couple of seconds beforehand, "Yellow Pearl" by Philip Lynott. Born in West Bromwich in 1949, 
Phil Lynott was the son of an Irish mother and a Guyanan father who was relocated to Manchester as a child and then adopted by his grandparents in Dublin. In 1965, he became a member of the covers band The Black Eagles, then became the lead singer of the band Karma Sutra and then became the front man of the blues rock band Skid Row in 1967, where he linked up with the guitarist Gary Moore. In 1969, Lynott took time out of the band when he had his tonsils removed and Skid Row continued as a power trio, eventually making him redundant. However, the new lead singer compensated him by teaching him the bass and Lynott formed his own band, Thin Lizzy, which landed a number six single in February of 1973 with Whiskey in the Jar and would go on to notch up eight chart singles in the latter half of the 1970s. In 1979, Lizzie's tour of America was disrupted when Gary Moore walked out halfway through, forcing Lynott to draft in someone he had already written LP tracks with, Midjour, formerly of Slick, who had caused the rich kids to split up when he wanted to play synths instead of guitars and was in the initial lineup of Visage. During Lizzie's tour of Japan, Yur had switched to keyboards and would spend rehearsals and sound checks dicking around with a new tune, which Lynott remembered when he started working on his debut solo LP, Solo in Soho. And the co-written song, inspired by Lynott and Yur nosing around electrical shops and seeing the Yellow Magic Orchestra in Tokyo, ended up on the LP in the spring of 1980 and was released as a single in March of 1981, but it only got to number 56. However, after its release, Lynott was approached by Michael Hurl and invited him to write the sixth theme tune for Top of the Pops. When Lynott asked him what he wanted, he was told something like Yellow Pearl. Lynott responded, use Yellow Pearl then. After a remix, it was introduced as a new theme tune on the 9th of July 1981, and lo, the coloured vinyl rained down from the skies. <laughs> After being played non-stop for the rest of the year, it was re-released last month, entered the charts at number 47 on Christmas week, and this week it soared! 22 places to number 25 and hear a zoo and the running pal to dance 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 the fuck out of it <laughs> i mean there is a lot to unpack here chaps yeah. but uh, uh, let's begin by discussing why 1982 was so fucking dancey because after all this is the very night that the first episode of Fame was broadcast in America. Oh. I mean, we wouldn't get it until June, but it seemed that every other person on telly in 1982 was in a leotard. <laughs> Why? Why not? Mm. You know, it's a time for, you know, Lycra is now readily available and, you know, it's yeah. and, and affordable and uh, easy to... Cl- I, who knows? Um, it's mm. There's an energy, there's a thing in the air... Um, if you know, and it's a time when, if you want, you can jump up on a car and let it all hang out. And there will be consequences to this, but still, it yes. is a thing that you can do. Mm. It's odd that this is before Fame came out because I think Fame would exert quite a big influence, actually, over a what would happen in the next influence. huge influence in the next couple of years. Why do you need to dance? I guess to get out of the gloom, to get out of the gloom of the previous years and the changeover of the yes. decade. 
there is this strivancy, this flamboyancy, this desire to be out and loud and proud and, and sort of sort of demonstrative of your, your physical abilities to a certain extent. Let's get physicals just been in the charts as well. So yes. yeah, there's there's that sort of change in mood or, or, or if you like, from from yeah, eighty one gloom into eighty two bright shininess. Um and, and dance dominates things. It da- it dominates this episode. It dominates my understanding of this song to a certain extent because this song I remember loving it, and, and that's why it's shooting up the charts because it got such mm. big airplay. It's a powerful. Um, I, I I remember just digging the hook immensely, mm. not really being cognizant of the lyrics. It's probably my favourite passage of music that Midjour has ever been associated with. But yes. in terms of this performance on top of the pops, of course, it is the dancing that sticks in your head. And yes. and gets on your tits. Yes, I mean, if you've not seen it, I implore all of you to go to the video playlist and consult the launch show of TSW, which happened six days before this episode, because that mm-hmm. that is a textbook example of televisual danciness of the time. It's essentially some people in leotards doing interpretive dance in front of footage of blacksmiths making horseshoes and car ferries unloading and. <laughs> affairs with a Y and an R and an E. Mm. But it, it, isn't it odd, the British kind of dancing that we see? I mean, think about breakdancing going on at this time. Yes. Um, and new sort of steps happening. And, and what have we got? We've got, for this song, well. this this bizarre and unwanted meld, really, of kind of the Russian Cossack steps from Tchaikovsky's yes. Nutcracker Suite with... With BDSM wear and a few yeah. shit breakdancing moves um, mm. thrown in as well. But as ever with Zoo, that hastiness of preparation, I think, is, is massively in evidence. There's, there's, yes. a, there's a few signature standout moves that are meant to be impressive. But they mm. just end with people just lying on the floor after they've done a gamble, you know, having yes. to get up <laughs> like you did in PE. It's not seamless no. and it doesn't seem cognizant of the music and as yeah. ever with zoo you just start wondering how many of them are there yeah welcome to all rather mysterious the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact my name is john rain my name is eleanor morton my name is david reed i'm doing the man in the iron mask mm. oh lord lucan the hollinwell incident <gasps> The Versailles time slip of 1901. Tamam should. Who was Kaspar Hauser? The Dyatlov Pass incident. Oh. How do you say it? Yeah, I've no idea how you pronounce it. It I sounded know. right. Dyatlov. 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 I'll be doing some uh, deeply uh, culturally sensitive accents throughout <laughs> this. Russians don't listen to things. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, the, the, the dance routine. I mean, obviously, they're, they're trying to put Zoo over big here. This is their mm. coming out party, isn't it? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, dear. To, to coin a phrase. Yeah, really. It's wild. It's so oily and, and, and yes. gay and dark and weird. I mean, it's like mm. the early shift at the sex dungeon, isn't it? It's kind yes. of... This is like... Warm-up. This is like the warm-up <laughs> act for the naked fire eater. It's in it's in three stages, isn't it? The main bit is four leather Cossacks who start mm. backflipping and doing kip-ups. Yeah. And then uh, there's a collection of second-tier zoo wankers who I am now, from now on, going to call City Farm. And they're in assorted <laughs> costumes. I mean, there's one dressed as a nurse... There's one in a cap and gown. Mm. There's a proto-goth traffic warden. There's a <laughs> sailor. There's a bloke in camouflage and a beret. And uh, there's one woman who's... Uh, I think she's just come and dressed as your mum popping out to do the shopping. She's got a, a belted raincoat and a headscarf. But yeah, don't assume that the kids are being completely pushed out of the shop because we see the top of the heads of four of them at the front of the stage. Yeah, and yes, yeah. Including one dressed up as a police officer. But... That's 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 not all because there are two bodybuilders yeah. just posing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in these strappy sort of metal studded things that you know that metal fans were in at the time, and mm. tiny posing pouches. Tiny, tiny. It's, it's practically ast- an eye patch. It's astonishing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's like oiled, yeah. oiled up uh, strongmen doing. Pulling all the poses. I mean, there's so much going on. It's it's overwhelming. And you know, I mean, the yeah. kids the kids have got to stand well back for their own safety. Really, there's some. Yes. Uh, at one point, there's, uh, you know, but yeah, it is all like just whatever, just thrown at the wall, it, it, and mm. just like this will. It's not even this will do. It's just like and and this, yeah. And what else can we cram in? So there's at one point yeah. they sort of there's like four guys who form a kind of. Uh, Human centipede. Human centipede, and, yes. And then they kind of pass. There's a woman in, in kind of white tights, white tights, which are almost never a good idea. Um, no. And they kind of pass her. They've been holding her up in a, in a sort of Vegas showgirl kind of kind of move or, or yeah. sort of American cheerleader kind of way. And then they kind of pass her because they're all kind of in quite close proximity. It's like it's like madness, actually. It's like the um, rude X-rated version of, of, of the uh, the madness thing where they're all in the line the bummer's conger as david calls <laughs> oh, God. It. but they pass so there's this woman's they've been holding her aloft and then they pass her back through in between their legs and it's like that yeah. party game where you had to like yeah. pass a balloon between you it's yeah it's incredible it's massively awkward as well i mean yeah, there, yeah, there's one bit awkward. where she gets passed around between the four blokes and you could just see the terror in their eyes <laughs> out of fear of dropping her yeah yeah it's not Cirque du Soleil, is it? There's this one shot where it just pans across the stage and the bodybuilder's packets just hove into view. And at, <laughs> at that time, you know that teas are coming right off laps and being thrown at walls across the country. You know, we've talked about daddy's faction. This is dad enragement, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And but, but, Sarah's right. They throw a lot of shit at the wall mm. uh, in the hope that it will stick. But truth be told... Some of these zoo people, they've not worked out enough for the duration of the song. 
No. So they've not worked out enough things to do. No. So, and it doesn't help, of course, that halfway through the song, they all seem knackered. Yes. They're, they're, they all seem like they're breathing heavily. Yeah. So that repeated sacrificial motif they have with that with that lady, mm. like their mourners lugging a particularly heavy coffin, um, mm. that just starts to look increasingly exhausted. Um by the end of it. So, yeah, I mean, we certainly get the full panoply of Suzu weirdness yeah. in this opening thing. It's it's a definite introduction to them. And I, I'm, I'm sure as a child, I would have been both, yeah, faintly alarmed, but also probably quite firmly repulsed. Mm. It's not really the vibe either, is it? It's like the for the, for the, the track. No, it, it, it isn't, It just yeah. doesn't... Where have they got this? Like, where... Yeah. How have they gone? What will be good for this? And wouldn't you want to be a fly on the wall in the households of Legs and Co and Pan's people? Yeah. <laughs> fucking... There must be a... Cherry Gillespie must be sat at home with a phone presser here and a fag on saying, oh, we never got this kind of budget. Well, they're all together, like, yeah. roaring drunk. so much money on this. They're all together yeah. sitting there, just roaring drunk, like, throwing empty cans at the screen, going, yeah. look at it, fuck this. We can't lose sight that there's a song in there somewhere. Yeah, and, we you know, We've touched that. upon that song many a time and often. I mean, speaking as a person of the far future, you have to take your hat off to someone like Phil Lineup for having a go at the new style. But at the time... Him doing this felt like status quo suddenly turning up dressed as Pierrot's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, metal fans, metal fans and fans of Thin Lizzy would have felt massively betrayed by this. Mm. You know, but he was always pushing in those interesting directions, Phil Linnett. Yeah. He's a really interesting figure, Phil Linnett. Yes. He, he's one of those figures who's kind of was usually taken seriously by spotty little boys. But the yeah. other group that really liked him were, were like my mum and people yes. her age. People her age fancied the fuck out of Phil, Phil Linnett in this period. He was incredibly good looking and, and just a and really Irish charismatic Hendrix figure. And Irish Hendrix are like, fucking hell. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was gorgeous. You go very far with that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he was introduced by Jimmy Savile on the 900 Top of the Pops as Mr. Thin Lizzy and the composer of the song. Which meant, once again, Paul Midge was pushed out of the spotlight. Mm. <laughs> and as previously discussed, you know, the lyrics are properly fucking batshit. I yeah, mean, the song yeah. might as well be called Kill All the Japanese People. There is... The, I mean, I, I've written down faint racism, but is yes. it a little less than faint? I mean, it, it's not called Yellow Peril. No. Um, and it's slightly affectionate towards Japanese culture, I guess. But, um, yeah. yeah, those lyrics are, are insane. I think you'd be totally against 5G. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a beautiful thing to create. I mean, even though you're, Midjore is part of it, mm. that passage of music, that, that hook... The, I love I love choruses where suddenly there's no singing and yeah. that is the chorus. It's like an instrumental chorus. This is one of the best. And, yeah. and you know, it's the instant 80s, instant 80s for, yes. me, mm. for me. I'll tell yeah. you what, though. I um, I hesitate to say this because it might ruin it for you, but I'm going <laughs> to... I've realised, like, uh, just on on uh, this, this listen of it, that it sounds like a remix of the Chariots of Fire theme. Ooh. But do, you, do, you forget, do, do, do. I, I, I love the floral dance and I also <laughs> I also love the Chariots of Fire thing. Yeah. So that's not a problem. Okay, good, good. All. I don't actually want to ruin things for you, you see. It's just sometimes it's like, <laughs> uh, can I say this? It's like when I uh, when I pointed out to my, um, to, to my bloke that the guy from Tinder 6 sounds like Homer Simpson doing uh, the Mr. <laughs> Mr. Plough advert. 
Oh, oh Sarah, I like the tinsticks. I'm sorry. Oh no, I ruined tinsticks. I don't. I don't not like tinsticks, but it is. That's what it sounds like. I'm sorry. Spoiled forever. But he didn't carry this on, did he? Old Phil. No, he didn't much. Which is a he shame. Didn't much. It is. It is. He's got a good voice for it. Exactly. And, and, you know, he always had a lovely, heavily textured voice that always sounded great with Lizzie, but would have totally suited this kind of synth-heavy, thick sound. Um, yeah. I wish he I wish he had done more of it. I wish, like Robert Palmer and other people who were in 70s bands but then were getting to grips with the 80s, yes. would, I wish he would have immersed himself more into it. Perhaps not with mid-year, but it yeah. would have been fascinating to see him work with, with perhaps other electronic producers at the time. Yeah. Just to really piss off the Lizzie fans, i.e. the Melody Maker readers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so weird, isn't it, when people... I mean, people are resistant to new things a lot of the time, but... Yeah. It is a bit depressing, isn't it? Like how regularly that happens. It's like, oh, somebody's going to somebody that you that is known for doing one type of music is now going to try this, and it's like oh, the outrage. It's like what they're mm. just doing. That's good, isn't that good? Mm. Don't you like it? Would this have been as good a single if Major had done it? No, no, no. I don't think so at all. I mean, for starters, Major would have done it. <laughs> and I'm always Major's voice. If you if you mean Major like singing on it. Yeah. No, I don't think it would have been as good at all. Mm. Um, the the delight in this record is precisely because Linnets is a voice that you are familiar with, but you are familiar with hearing it with Gary Moore's guitars yeah. and a rock band playing. It, the deliciousness of hearing that voice, which still sounds exactly like Phil Linnet, but with a bit yeah. of extra electronic texture with this electronic music is precisely what makes this record so good. Hearing Midjour do it, no. I mean, hearing Midjour do anything, no. So the following week, Yellow Pearl nudged up three places to number 22. And the week after that, it got to number 14, its highest position. Lynott spent 1982 dividing his time between Thin Lizzy, whose next single, Hollywood, only got to number 53 in March, and his second solo LP, the Philip Liner album, which fell to chart and spawned no-hit singles. But snippets of Yellow Pearl would be played on top of the pops all the way until March of 1986, two months after Lynott died of... I've seen, I'm saying Lynott now because of you. It's all right. No, it's fine, mate. Two months after Lynott died of pneumonia in Salisbury, and two days after this episode, Lynott would reappear on BBC One when Thin Lizzy played Hollywood with a 70-year-old grandma on keyboards on Jim will fix it. That was the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Stacks of energy and a lot of fun to Yellow Pearl from Philip Linus, and it's new in the chart, and that's our theme tune, and we're proud of that. Okay, let's go with Foreigner now, waiting for a girl just like you. camera whips back to power while the bodybuilders are still doing their pieces and the camera angle makes it look like one of them is giving him a nazi salute 
Pow tells us that Yellow Pearl is the top of the Pops theme tune, as it has been for the past five months, and they're very proud of it. Then he over-personalises the intro to the next song by saying he's been waiting for a girl just like me. Imagine such a thing. It's actually Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner. Formed in New York in 1976 when Mick Jones, formerly of Spooky Tooth, found himself at a loose end when his previous group, the Leslie West Band, split up. Foreigner consisted of three Englishmen, including Ian MacDonald, who had been in King Crimson, and some Americans, including Lou Graham, formerly the lead singer of Black Sheep. After signing to Atlantic in 1977, their debut LP sold 5 million copies and their first eight singles made the American Top 40. But they had only had two Top 40 hits in the UK in the late 70s. Feels like the first time, which got to number 39 in May of 1978, and Cold as Ice, which got to number 24 in August of the same year. This is the follow-up to Jukebox Hero, which got to number 48 over here in October of 1981, and it's the second cut from the LP4, which did pretty much fuck all when it was released over here in the summer of 1981. It features Thomas Dolby doing the synthy bit at the beginning, and it's currently been at number two for six weeks in America, held off number one by Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Over in the UK, it's gone up seven places from number 19 to number 12. And here's some video of them doing it live. Well, I mean, this was not one of the songs that Jonathan King forced upon us in his segment, but it fucking might as well have been. Yeah, yeah, it might as well have been. Um, And suddenly, just all the heat leaves the room. Mm. You know, it's just such a fucking fall. I mean, not, not that, you know... Anything could keep up the heat of Zoo's performance on on Yellow no. Pearl, but if you if you know if a DJ was playing a set like this, you'd kick off for him yeah. putting this on. Um, yeah, it just suddenly pff, flattens everything. Yeah. The fact that this song, I don't know, ended up being covered by Paul Anker and Cliff Richard kind of reveals exactly how mm. anodyne it is. Um, yeah. But I have to say, right, Lou Graham has a great voice for this kind of music. It's a decent, mm. half-decent power ballad. And there's an argument for saying that bands like U2 were trying to write shit like this for mm. <laughs> the longest time. But most annoyingly, even though it's... I mean, it wouldn't have annoyed me at the time, but it kind of vexes me at the moment. They've done mm. this thing, they've gone to this video, and the video is your typical big American rock band on a big American stage yeah. video. Live performance I mean, this video. was the official video as well. This yeah. is all they could get. Yeah, but I mean, we get a verse, one chorus, and that's your lot. And, and, and you know, that's all we get of the song. It but, do- but that's enough. Well, it is enough, but it, it does seem crowbarred in there to satisfy somebody. A yeah. record company, or maybe Jonathan fucking King. Um, mm. Who knows? But it, it feels like a sort of, yeah, we need a minute and a half here. Jack that in there. Um, yeah. With very little consideration for the vibe of the show, because the vibe of the show by the end of this minute and a half of this song, is completely dissipated. Um, it's a bit of a vibe killer, this one. I, I used to get so annoyed with that. Like, just on principle, when you're expecting... I mean, obviously, I would be I'd be glad to see the back of a thing that I didn't like, but there's something... There just seems something wrong about, like, the shepherd's crook just kind of... Yeah, uh, yeah. hoving interview and just going yeah. yoink. Or, or we join the band in progress. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like they've thought better, or it's like they've made they've made some sort of error, and it's like... 
right, that's enough of that. Whoop, you know, and it's like, yeah. no, that's don't do that. Like, play either play the thing or don't play the thing. Don't do this. Mm. No, a verse and a chorus and a no, up, there it's gone. It's like it's too. It's jarring in and of itself to to pull a thing like that. Mm. Sarah, I was interested in your take on this song because you're kind of. You're you're not part of this era. I've I've heard it since I'm familiar enough with with foreigner and you know I I remember I but I remember um I want to know what love is which is which just just kind of wins you over with its sheer yeah it's just like it's just like a a kind of giant vat of syrup overturning yeah on on yeah. your head and it envelops you and you can't you must submit to it you know it's it's that is if you talk about power ballads that is such a power ballad absolutely it's like a towering power ballad uh this is mm. is, is kind of a, a pale imitation of that i would say the thing is i, I do have a kind of pavlovian response so thomas yeah. dolby introduction kind of this poignant sort of histrionic synth and my brain just goes, ah, mm. oh, it's it's something. This is a thing you like, Sarah. And you know, my heart just kind of flies, flies to it like a moth to the moonlight. But then it turns out that it's just a slightly dusty paper lampshade, just kind of littered with the corpses of my mm. overeager leopard doctor and <laughs> brethren. So yeah, it doesn't. It, it it kind of doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's funny. Uh, a Lou Graham is it's kind of very very intense and serious. And and he's got um and it's like he's so mm. intense that he's actually his bicep has like popped just through sheer intensity of like <laughs> yes and um and and a fine head of hair as well but it's yeah I mean if Billy Bremner had played Australian rules football this is what he'd look like <laughs> um but this it's like there's so much where's all that energy gone you know because what comes out is not very it doesn't really reach you it's like a tiny mm. bit of song is escaping. Like, like if you, mm. you know, when you try to let the uh, yeah. let the air out of a balloon, like really, like, like that. It's just a tiny. Where is all that tension going? Mm. I feel like it should produce something. He does have a good voice, but it just doesn't connect, does it? Just the, the, these sort of big stagey no. uh, rock videos for rock bands where you there's no audience there and they've clearly been filmed just before a show you know during sound check they've decided oh, i know we've got spare four minutes mm. let's create a video and they've just done a sort of dress rehearsal in a sense and mm. filmed them they get a lot better those kind of videos towards the late 80s by the time you through to like white snakes in the still of the night these yeah. things have been perspe- uh, perfected and people are spinning guitars around their necks and stuff yeah um and it's properly cut yeah. and excitingly cut so that people can point right down the camera and stuff like that. At this stage of development of that kind of rock band video, uh, it hasn't got to that point yet. So you have like what no. one moving camera, a couple of statics, and it's a fairly dull performance. And that space between the band members, because this stage is like the size of an aircraft hangar, um, it, it's not populated by any heat. Mm. And, and and so the episode, yeah, it just dies on its arse right during this uh, this mm. minute and a half. Really. I mean, we can talk about this from this perspective, but mm. to me, I'm 13 at the time, and to me, yeah. this is just a load of dads in cap sleeve T-shirts, which makes them look like a cross between Australian rules footballers or, uh, you know, if there was a punk band on WKRP in Cincinnati, this is about how they'd be dressed. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm surprised that one of them isn't wearing a, a Union Jack one or a Japanese Sun one, which mm. was, uh, you know, quite popular oh, at the time. Very popular, yeah. I, I mean, I'm practically the first thing you see is a guitarist with a permanent tash and he's he's doing that musician's cum face look. Yeah, yeah. Which looked really good on Jimi Hendrix and fucking stupid on everyone else. 
<laughs> Especially when the music's so soft. And yeah. So, yeah. Immediately we cut to the line that always pissed me off with this song. When we make love, it's understood. What the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> it's basically a load of recently divorced dads bragging on about their new partner and how they get up to all sorts. And she, she's wearing the, the, the slinky underwear and he's getting a nosh. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, because... Yeah, you know what I mean? All, in, in all his previous relationships... When we make love, it's understood. Yeah. Fuck well, in off! In all his previous relationships, he was just waiting for a girl like you. All of those are irrelevant. Yes. It's all about it's all about this one. I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, he was faking it before. I now. bet Kel yeah. uh, Kath and Kim fucking loves this song. <laughs> you know what would make this good though is if you just uh started from the top uh with that zoo performance and just played the you know I wanna yeah. see that like that performance just with, with all the other music mm, mm. on you know, because it will go just mm. as well or badly with anything else. And that, like the woman mm. going through all the guy's legs to, I've been waiting for a girl like you. Just mm, that. perfect. Yeah, I, I want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for a girl like you to be held awkwardly over my head. I mean, all those twats that you don't see on the news anymore because something really important's happening in in shitty market towns in the north. You know, if they've been moaning on about foreigner as opposed to foreigners, <laughs> I'd, I'd be in agreement with them. I can't be doing with this band at all. And, and I, I don't care how short it is, it's, it's not short enough. There's no ridiculous aspects to it. That's the trouble. They are dressed like, I don't know, if you saw a live video of Genesis from 79, they'd probably look fairly similar. Yeah. They haven't got yet, because it's very early in the 80s, that whole leather and lace iconography around that kind of power mm. metal, that kind of power balladry, mm. hasn't quite been worked out yet. So you've just got this band who seem to have turned up in what they slept in. Um, playing this dreary yeah. song in a big, massive stage with nobody watching. Yeah, yeah so um, it's it's the kind of show where you, you you feel you don't have to wear deodorant. Yeah, when you got it on, you can just lift your arms up a bit, <laughs> catch a breeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of a, a more organic Madonna sticking her armpits under a hand dryer thing. Mm. For this kind of music, yeah. for this kind of power ballad, what you need to make up for the slowness and the dullness of the music is some kind of histrionics from the singer. He needs to be looking right down the mic, uh, camera. Yeah. And and you yeah. need that kind of posiness that the great late 80s power ballad videos have. And actually, there's yeah. a video later on in the show which demonstrates exactly how to appeal to that kind of audience, but in an entertaining mm. way. So Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it ain't this. It ain't this. To me, it's like, oh, you know that song that you don't like when it's on the radio? Let's have it, but done even worse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, completely. So the following week, Waiting for a Girl Like You nipped up one place to number 11, but the following week it got to number 8, its highest position. The single helped kick the LP all the way up to number 5 the following month, but the follow-up, a re-release of Urgent, which got to number 54 in September of 1981, would only get to number 45 in May of this year. And it would spend 10 weeks at number two in America when I can't go for that, no can do, replace physical at number one at the end of the month. Good. Quite right. Far superior record. Okay, folks, one of the biggest selling disco records in the country has got to be this from Alton Edwards. I just want to spend some time with you. I 
Pal. Surrounded by members of City Farm, including Sailor Boy, a twat in a red rubbery suit and gold bow tie, a sulky lad in a headband, and someone normal in a denim jacket, who all start jumping up and down and getting all jostly with Powell as he introduces I Just Want to Spend Some Time With You by Alton Edwards. Born in the former Rhodesia, date unknown, Alton Edwards began his music career playing the old drums in the Sixfenties before relocating to Zambia to study the flute. After returning to his home nation, he joined the soul band Sabu as a vocalist and bassist, moving on to form his own band, Unity. In 1978, he moved to Zurich and linked up with the disco band Superlove before moving on again, this time to Los Angeles to work with Clay McMurray, a producer at Motown. Last year, he moved to London and signed with the CBS dance offshoot Street Wave, and this, his debut solo single, entered the chart this week at number 62. And with chart movement thin on the ground, as it always is in the first week of a new year, mm. that's good enough for an appearance on Top of the Pops. Oh, that introduction. So Powell's at it again. He's seriously coming on to me now, and it's not a comfortable feeling, I must say. <laughs> There is a lovely, I mean, the lovely thing about the introduction is that, we, yes, we finally see someone normal. And, yes. and, and, and they look better than anyone out of Zoo. Yes. Um, they look way, way better. Alas, the sight of a non-pro, Ale Bloody Lulia. Um, mm. You know, and we're what? We're three songs in. And we haven't yeah. seen a normal person yet. The girl to Powell's right is normal. She's dressed yes. normally. She's being normal. And it's, mm. it's like manna from heaven. In amidst all yeah. these um, zoo wankers that we've had up until now. I mean, Alton Edwards. I mean, I'm, I always got him mixed up with Alton Ellis, the rock steady singer, but mm-hmm. um, but not Alton Towers, at least as that. <laughs> and, uh, or indeed, or Alton Eight. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty much his big break, isn't it? But oh, he's, yeah. he's fucked it up a bit, hasn't he? There's been oh. a bit of a, 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 a malfunction. Mm, yeah. So I did not know who uh, Alton Edwards was so who is Alton Edwards? Alton Edwards is a man who has seen the video for Rock With You and has listened to Rock With mm. You and the rest of Off the Wall perhaps once or twice, I think we can safely say. Mm. Um, also, yes. he is a man who has um, he's got a lot of soul glow on his hair, hasn't he? Tonight for, mm-hmm. for, for yes. the Top of the Pops, and uh, yes, possibly too much. It's well, really... he's made the big error of overdoing it with a jerry curl activator while wearing an expensive grey jacket. Yeah, big yeah. mistake. Oh, mate, and it looks those like... Those two things don't mix. It looks like somebody's sort of sneezed extravagantly on, on his shoulder and he hasn't noticed. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of overtime at Sketchlis this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I consulted a mate who knows about this sort of thing. He confirms that it is a jerry curl. Because, you know, I, I always associate Jerry Curls with Easy E and the like. Mm-hmm. But no, it was a thing this early in the 80s. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He believes that Alton's perm has grown out a bit too much, hence the over-reliance on the stay soft row or soften free. He says he should have checked in at the salon before going on top of the pops. Yeah, or just don't wear the jacket, man. He didn't need that jacket. How hot's it going to be in that studio? He's got activator yeah. all over his jacket. This is the era where mysterious stains would start appearing on bus windows due to uh, youths who were curled up resting their greasy heads against it <laughs> on their way into town. It's like someone's taken a box of chicken and just rubbed it against the window. And I always wonder what that was about. Now, 
my mate pointed it out to me. It's like, ah, mystery solved. <laughs> and it's distracting from his other sartorial it's choices. Massively distracting. It, it, you know, and his other sartorial choices are quite bold. Those boots yeah. and yes. those trousers. They're a bold mm. combination Lord. for somebody that tall. Very, well, white, for somebody... very white, very tight denim jeans, aren't they? Bold combo for somebody that tall, but we're not looking at that. We're looking at the, his jacket that looks like somebody's jizzed all over it. We, oh. You know. Yes. It is not helped, of yes. course. He does that move, doesn't he? He does this kind of hand jivey mood that just looks like an exaggerated wank as well. So, yeah. Yes. Why yeah, is this no record good. on? Here comes jizzed. It's on the line uh, where uh, it's when he says making love as well. There's a lot of making love going on and none of it's none of it's good. None of it is anything I want to be involved in. Yeah. <laughs> He's looking to leave a stain on someone's pillow again, oh, isn't he? Curtains, who knows? But yeah, I, I want to spend some time with you as long as you've got a carrier bag and elastic band <laughs> I can use. I mean, it's reminiscent of that glorious moment in that proto hip hop uh, TV show, Graffiti Rock, where there's a lad who does a backspin and he sprays a perfect arc of Jerry Curl juice across the floor. Well, oh, it's wonderful. Well, it's like Death of a Jerry Curl in Hollywood Shuffle. Um, it, it, yes. It brought that to mind yes. as well. But I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right in that in, in this being the first episode after Christmas. Loads of big bits of the top 40 that would ordinarily be kind of ignored. Yeah. That would ordinarily be out of bounds. You can get those singles in, but why this one? You know, the, the yeah. better records that they could have chosen include like Earth, Wind and Fire and Funboy 3 and Kraftwerk, Altered Images, yeah. Soft Cell, they're all in there. This again, like mm. Foreigner, has the feel of payola mm. to me. Yeah, well, it, it gives Zoo something to do again, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you need, the thing is, after Foreigner and after the dementedness of that opening zoo routine, you kind of do mm. need just a full stage that's all business and energy. And, and he's got yeah. a backing band. He's got a conventional backing band. The horn section are wearing T-shirts with uh, his name on it in Star Wars font, mm. which is nice. That's it reminds nice you of who's, who's, who's watching it. But, but of course, Top of the Pops are worried that, hey, oh, it's just a band making music boring. So they cut intermittently to the zoo wankers there's one lad you know everyone's kind of like clapping in a horseshoe mm. uh while someone does some dancing one of them looks like tucker jenkins which <laughs> which was interesting you know we need more dancing put the dancing in now the tucker jenkins lookalike is not the only grange hill uh um doppelganger uh involved in zoo as we'll see in a bit no you know what i couldn't deduce maybe you can tell me is this a fresh performance for this episode because we do finally get a sense of an audience. But uh, am mm. I clinging on to that just because I want to see the blooming audience? Or, or No, this would have been a, this would have been a good, fresh good, performance. No to... way would this have been on Top of the Pops before Christmas. No, no, I guess not. I guess not. But Only just enter the chart. They could have chosen better records. He could have chosen a better jacket, hair product combo. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Sort of gone a bit wrong for him. But, you know, I'm sure it had a positive effect yeah. on this record's placing in the charts. Mm. It's your bog-standard post-disco record, isn't it? Mm. Which will come to be known as Brit-funk. Yeah, but most of those Brit-funk records, I can remember them. I listened to this last yeah. night. I am looking at the title now. I can't remember it. I can't remember a thing about it. I mean, the song, yeah. I mean. It's, um, yeah. All I, re- all I remember is those spots on his jacket. <laughs> yeah. It's quite, it's, quite a nothing, yeah. it's quite a nothing song. It's got like a, a, a lively sort of squidgy bass line. Uh, but there's not much over the top of it. It's quite, you know, the lyrics are pretty asinine and there's kind of a female backing singer who is uh, dressed for tennis who, who does a bit of, yeah. she gets to sort of yeah. interject a, a bit of a bit of sort of gabbling. I just want to be with you. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't really add anything either. It's it's all kind of, 
you can see what they're getting at, but it, it doesn't get there, you know. So uh, yeah, he does no, just need some that. lessons. That, that there is a difference between doing the hand jive and just making the wanker sign. Um, yeah. so, it's a fine yeah, line. It's a very fine and and uh, and and sticky line. <laughs> the following week, I just want to spend some time with you. Soared twenty nine places to number thirty three, and it would spend two weeks at number twenty, its highest position. However, the follow up, strange woman, failed to chart <laughs> in the spring of eighty two, and he never got the chance to spend any more time. With the charts. Alton Edwards, I also discovered, uh, appears in an incredible documentary. It's a Carol Morley documentary that uh, came out in 2011 called Dreams of a Life. Did you see this? Right. It's about a woman who... I did oh. see this. It's an amazing film. It's incredible. It's about a woman called uh, Joyce Carol Vincent who died in her flat in Wood Green in 2003 and wasn't discovered for three years. And the telly was still on. She was surrounded by wrapped Christmas presents. And the documentary is this was Carol Molly's attempt to sort of unravel this mysterious woman's life. And Alton Edwards is, is in it. Because um, there's himself, kind of some... Re- yeah. As himself, because there's kind of some reconstructed bits where they try to piece together who she was and, and what her life was. And, uh, yeah, so he... And, and she's kind of... Uh, she does some singing and he's, he's, he's there at one point. So that's what I now know about Alton Edwards. What's his hair like? I don't know. I'm not sure he's got much, to be honest with you. No. Yeah. Well, no wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but I need a break before we go any further because this episode of Top of the Pops as Far is not engorging my music-enjoying penis with the blood of skillness and mentocracy. Well, yeah. Nor mine. Um, I'm, I'm thoroughly flaccid with the undecentness about mm. that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's early days. <laughs> it's, it's, it's early days. We're going to sign off there. So here's Al Needham, along with Neil Kulkarni and Sarah B, advising you to sit tight, ring your mum up and see if she's all right, because she's wickling. <laughs> uh, sort your kids out, if you've got any, and uh, we'll see you real soon. But always, always stay pop crazed. <laughs> Sharp music. GreatBigOwl.com Hi, I'm Hannah Norris and this is my husband, Carl Donnelly. And we have a new podcast for you. It's called the Keith Cheggers Podcast and it's about pregnancy because that is what's happening in our lives right now. And inside your belly. Yeah, so we are recording weekly episodes throughout the course of my pregnancy, talking to each other and interesting and funny guests that we have on about their experiences with the pregnancy so we can work out a bit more about what the hell is happening and what is coming up for us. So tune in, subscribe and have a listen to the Keith Cheggers podcast. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.